So we are, uh, we're starting a new series today. And I'd just like to begin by, by asking you a question. How many of you in this room have your CPR certification? You've done the training. You've got, you just put your hand really high for me, your CPR certification. So actually quite a few of you, quite a few. Okay, and so, so that certification, it, it's like your license, right, to practice CPR. You've been, you've been authorized by the proper authorities basically to go and save lives. Is that right? And I was talking to my, my buddy Cal this week. He's, he's authorized to give that, that uh, CPR certification training. And he was saying that depending on your profession, after every two to three years, you have to retake the training. Is that right? To stay certified. Okay, and so basically it's, it's a refresher, right? You need to be reminded again of, of the significance of the training and, and how to do it. And as a believer in Jesus, as a follower in Jesus, follower of Jesus, we've been certified too. We've been certified. Okay, and, and this is our certification right here on the wall. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's called the Great Commission. I'm going to read it for you. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said that completely wrong. I read that completely wrong. Let me try that again. I read two lines at once. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As I was reading that, I was thinking of three other things. And that's what happened there. Okay. So Jesus has commissioned us. Is that true? Jesus is saying, go in my authority. I am authorizing you to go and save lives. Jesus is the one who qualifies us to fulfill this assignment. In Jesus, you have been certified to make followers, make disciples of Jesus. This is the mission and this is the mandate of every believer in Jesus. We don't have a choice in this, but these are our marching orders. Is that true? Um, many of us have been in church a long time. And we're well versed in our assignment. And, 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 you know, we, we know Matthew 28. And, and there's some people here, you, you can recite Matthew 28 a lot better than I can, frontwards and backwards, right? And you've heard many sermons on, on being commissioned and evangelism. And, and, and some of you here, you've, you've led many people to the Lord. And that's amazing and that's awesome. But during the fast, and right actually within the first few days of the fast, I, I really felt the Lord impress on my heart that we need a refresher. That we need to remember again the significance of the assignment. 
that we need to get excited about it again. How many of you, when I read that scripture, your heart jumped? We need to get excited about that again. We need to get excited about seeing people come to Jesus and living in the purpose and the reason they exist in Christ. And so I really believe that that, that starts with our heart. And so I want to start this series by talking this morning about the heart. What does the heart of a soul winner look like? Are we ready? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you for all that you've, you've done already in, in this service. We thank you for showing up. We thank you for being faithful. We thank you for loving on us, for encouraging us, for challenging us, for correcting us. We thank you for, for just who you are, and we thank you for your son. And so, God, now uh, we just pray that we're going to continue hearing your voice. And, and God, I just pray that, that we're not just going to be hearers of your word today. That we're not going to treat your word in vain. That we're not going to treat your word as casual because we're so familiar with it. But God, I pray for a reverence for the word of God. I pray that we tremble again at the word, at the great commission. That we that we understand your heart, that we hear your heart on this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Number one, the heart of a soul winner is full of the love of God. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Our ability to love God and love people into the kingdom comes from God's love for us. Without his love, we don't even have a gospel to take into this world. But it was because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's because of his love. It's only because of the love of God. It all begins with his love. This is a very important teaching point I want you to hear this morning. It is impossible to fulfill the great commission without the great commandment. It is impossible to fulfill the great commission without the great commandment. Matthew 22, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is the beginning. This is the foundation to the great commission. Love God and love other people. And we can do that because God first loved us. Our ability to love people into the kingdom is based on our understanding of God's love for us. Let me ask you a question this morning, and I don't want you to answer right away. How many of you know this morning that God loves you? 
And I want to be clear, I'm not asking, have you been taught that God loves you? I'm not asking you, have you been told a thousand times that God loves you? But I'm asking, I'm asking you, how many of you know that you're the apple of his eye? How many of you know that when God thinks about you, that he celebrates you and starts to rejoice over you with singing? How many of you know that God has examined your heart and knows everything about you, but still demonstrated his love for you, that while we were still sinners, Christ died just for you, that you are fully known and you are fully loved. How many of you know how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the Father's love for you? So let me ask you again. How many of you know that God loves you? Yes. Hallelujah. 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 What a blessing, what a privilege to be able to answer that question, yes. What hope to be able to answer that question, yes. And Jesus said in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. See, the deeper we go into the love of God, the better the soul winner we're going to be. But we cannot be effective in winning people for Jesus without his love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We hear this lots at weddings, don't we? If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and, and if I understood all, the, all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. Do you know that there's over 7,000 languages in the world? Isn't that incredible? Over 7,000. Even if you could speak all of those languages and all of the heavenly languages. Even if you supernaturally function in every spiritual gift, everyone. Even if you've got the kind of faith that there is no obstacle before you that you can't move because of that faith. Even if your generosity and your sacrifice is, is even more impressive than Mother Teresa, which was very impressive. But you don't love people. 
All of those things mean nothing. God says, that doesn't impress me. You're just obnoxious noise. Wow. I think God's saying that we need to love people. And then God tries to help us understand it another way. And I think he takes it to another level at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, when he says uh, hope, faith, hope, and love remain. They're going to last forever. And the greatest of these is love. So even greater than our faith in God and his word and his promises, even greater than the hope that we have of eternal salvation is the love of God. Wow. Wow. How many of you know that Jesus is the greatest soul winner of all time? Jesus was so full of the love of God. You know, it was the love of God in him that made the children run to Jesus. That's what was so attractive. It was the love of God that, that caused Zacchaeus, who worked for the Romans, probably the most hated Jew, <laughs> to climb the tree just so he could see Jesus. It was the love of God in him that stood between the stones and the adulterous woman when no one else would. It was the love of God that, that allowed Jesus to touch the leper when everyone else was shouting unclean. It was the love of God in Jesus that made the prostitute feel that she could come and wash his feet with her tears. Only the love of God could do that. Make her feel worthy to come and do that. It was the love of God and Jesus that turned the heart of the criminal that was beside him on the cross. And it was the love of Jesus that caused him to choose the cross so that you and I could live. A soul winner's heart is full of the love of God. Amen? Number two, the heart of a soul winner has compassion for the lost. Matthew 18, 12 to 14 says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is, not, is it not my heavenly Father's will that not even one of these little ones should perish? When I read that scripture, I hear Jesus saying that the lost matters to God. That the good shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one that's lost. How many of you are so glad this morning that God was willing to leave the 99 
to find you. God has compassion for those that are lost, those people that are wandering in the darkness, those people that are living with no hope and no future, that don't know the love of the Father who belong to the world and are suffering because of it. Those people matter to God. Those people matter to soul winners. How many of you are familiar with the the evangelist of the 19th century? His name was D.L. Moody. Are you familiar with him? Quite a few of you. I was reading about him this week. Um, You know, his formal education ended at grade five. And D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman until he basically turned evangelist overnight. And in his ministry, he he preached the gospel to over 100 million people before there was television and internet. (laughs) And he was on an evangelistic tour in London, and I read a story about how there was some British clergymen that just, they just wanted to come and meet this man. They just couldn't understand how this poorly educated man, you know, how and why he was able to win so many souls to Jesus. And so they came to visit him in his hotel room. And, and he took three of these, these clergymen over with him to the window of his hotel. And he said, I want you to look out that window and tell me what you see. And, and one by one, they started to talk about the, the people in the park, and they started to talk about the scenery and the architecture of the building. And then he was quiet, and tears started to come down his cheeks. And one of them said, Mr. Moody, what do you see? He said, I see countless souls that are destined for hell unless they come to know their Savior, Jesus Christ. How was he so successful? Because he had a heart of compassion. Because people mattered to him because they mattered to God. You know, every couple years, and it's been a couple years actually since I've asked you this question, but I've been doing this for about 10 years now. But... uh, we, we try to measure here our compassion quotient. How much do we care about other people? How many of you remember us figuring out our compassion quotient? Okay, a few of you. And, and so today I want us to measure um, how much compassion, not just for people, but I want to measure how much compassion do we have for people that don't know Jesus. And, and so in a minute, I'm going to ask you to choose a number between 1 and 10. And that, that number is going to represent your level of compassion towards the lost, towards people that have not invited Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. 1 is going to be extremely low, and 10 is going to be extremely high. So just a couple things first. Make sure that, that the number that you choose, it represents your level of compassion for the lost, Right now, right now, in, in February 4, 2024, not, not six months ago, not a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago, okay? 
Um, also, don't choose a number based on what you think it should be or what you want it to be. Okay, no one else is going to see this number, so we don't have to lie. <laughs> okay. And um, one more rule is you're not allowed to, to choose the number five. You can't choose five. So you have to be one to four or you have to be six to ten. And so before you choose that number, here's just some questions to consider. Um, how many people have you been intentional about connecting with in the last six months because they don't know Jesus? Are you actively praying for people right now to come to faith in Jesus? How many people have you talked to in the last six months about your faith, about what God's done in your life? And how many people can you even have those conversations with? Something we need to consider that. How many people have you personally led to the Lord this year? So let's say, not this year, but A, in the last 12 months. How many friends do you have that don't know Jesus? Do you have friends that don't know Jesus? Are you intentional in your relationship with them to model Christ? Are you ready? So go ahead, let's choose a number. Choose a number between 1 and 10. You can't choose 5. Everybody got the number? Okay, if you're between one and four, I'd like you to, st I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But here's what I'd say. Whether you're satisfied with that number or not, because some of you might be, might be satisfied with that number. But if you're satisfied with that number or not, Let's ask God to increase the number. Can we do that? Let's ask God this morning that our heart is going to break for the things that break his heart. Let's ask God to bring us to a place where people matter to us. Where they matter to us. Because they matter to him. How many of you are familiar with the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Good Samaritan, most of you. So the Good Samaritan, it's, it's that story where the man's walking on the, the road, like a, like a highway road, and uh, he's attacked, and he's beaten, and he's left for dead. And then three men walk by. Uh, a priest walks by first, and then a Levite walks by, and then the Samaritan walks by, and the only one who's willing to help the man was the Samaritan. So the Samaritan had compassion, and he saved his life. Now, <clears throat> that story, I think, um, I think those, those first two men, um, they represent two enemies of compassion. Two enemies of compassion. Okay, like what was the reason why they didn't stop? Right? Obviously, there was something that was preventing them from showing compassion. Right? Why did Jesus specifically choose a priest and a Levite? 
right? And so I think the priest, so here's two enemies. The priest, the first one, I think represents a religious spirit. And, and some of you are like, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> um, that word religion, it comes from the Latin word ligio, ligio. And, and ligio means to tie up or to bind, right? It's where we get the English word ligament, right? It's that, it's that tough, uh, fibrous tissue that connects to our bones and keeps our bones in place, right? Our ligaments, right? It ties them, it binds them in place. And so someone with a religious spirit uh, also can be called a, like a legalistic spirit. They're, they're all tied up and they're bound to the law, okay? And, and so the priest, he's more knowledgeable uh, of the Jewish law than anybody. He knew that, that if he would touch a dead man, he'd be made unclean. He'd lose his role in the temple, right? So he lived by a system of, of do's and don'ts, and he understood... He only understood blessing and reward for keeping the law, and he understood, you know, um, um, punishment and curses for breaking the law. Okay, and so someone who's living by the law is unable to live by grace because they live by a system of self-effort and good works, okay, and, and they have a hard time grasping unmerited favor. Right, so someone who has a religious, legalistic spirit, they won't be able to walk in love but only judgment because they only see sin. They only see people breaking the law. Right? And, and so they just can't get past that. So someone with a religious spirit, it, it's a hypocritical, hypercritical, judgmental spirit. It's, it's harsh. It's, it's always ready to point fingers and accuse. That's that religious spirit. So... So someone with a religious spirit, they're just not going to be able to, to operate in compassion. Okay? Because they can only see the sin. They only see people breaking sin. And, and so, um, you know, especially like an unbeliever. And so, for example, someone who has a religious spirit, they, they wouldn't be able to love the LGBT community. They wouldn't be able to see them as people that matter to God. Right? They just see sin. And, and, and they don't see that, you know, they don't see people in need. They don't see hurting. They just see sin. So they can't love that community. Right? So, so the religious spirit prevents them from loving people and winning souls. That is, that is a, an enemy of compassion. Okay? The second person was the Levite. And I would say the Levite could represent busyness. Busyness is an enemy of compassion. How many times you're driving, you see someone broken down on the road, but you're like, yeah, I'm sure someone else will stop. Right, anybody else? Um, you know, so the Levite, maybe he was just too busy to show compassion, didn't have time. He's busy with all of his church stuff. Um, there was a study that was conducted at, at Princeton University. It was designed to figure out 
um, the conditions under which good people will do good things. And so what, what these two psychologists did, they had a group of students, and, and they're in this one building. They said, you need to go across campus to this other building, and we want you to, to present a speech to that group of people about the Good Samaritan. Okay, so they had to know the, the Good Samaritan story first. Okay? Except what they did was these psychologists, they told half the students that they're late for the presentation. That they've got to get over there right now. Okay? They told the other half of the students, listen, the presentation's not for about 30 minutes. You got lots of time. You got lots of time. Okay? Can you guess what happened? 10%, only 10% of the, of the people that thought they were late stopped. Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you this part. <laughs> this, this part is important. So the psychologist had an actor between the two buildings who was coughing and, I mean, just, just desperately looked like he needed help, okay? That's kind of an important part of the story. And so, and so as these students went, the students who thought they had, who they thought they were late, had no time, they, only 10% of those students stopped. So if there were 60 students, let's say 30 of them thought they were late, that means only three of the 30 would have stopped. Is that 10%? I think so. Okay. And then the other 30 who had ample time, or they thought they did, they, um, 60% of those, those people stopped to help this man. So it would be about 18 out of 30. Is that right? Huh, a little harder math. Yeah. That's right. Now you're not so cocky. Yeah. I figured it out before on my calculator. So just never mind. Okay, but, but busyness, busyness is an enemy of compassion. They were too busy. They couldn't stop. How many of you think Jesus was busy? Do you think he had a, a lot to do in that three years of ministry? I don't think he wasted a second of that time that the Father gave him for ministry. And yet when we read about Jesus, even though he was so busy, he, he didn't seem like he was ever in a rush. Is that true? Like, like he's just in demand all the time, but it never stopped him from showing and acting on his compassion. I think one of the best stories of that, one of the best examples of that is the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is busy. He's doing church stuff. There's crowd of people. I don't know, maybe hundreds, I don't know, of people around Jesus all wind his attention. He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. So he's doing church stuff. This woman with an issue of blood, I think she had this problem for 12 years. She touches his cloak. Instantly she's physically healed. Jesus as he's doing this, as he's surrounded by these people and, and in demand, he feels power leave his body. And he knows that this woman has been healed. Jesus didn't have to stop. She's already healed. But what he understood was she was physically healed. But he wanted to make sure that she was whole. 
And so he took some time and he had compassion. And even though everyone's like, why are you stopping, Jesus? I'm sure they were thinking, we got to go. Jairus is like, okay, uh, my daughter needs you now. But he stopped and he made sure that emotionally she was healed and, and he made sure that she was made whole. He showed compassion even though he was busy, even though he was busy. And the third, <clears throat> the third heart of a soul winner is a desperate heart. It's a desperate heart. The reality is we don't know how long we're going to be here, do we? We don't know how long the person that we're praying for is going to be here. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. If someone says they do, they're lying. <laughs> we just know it's soon. We just know it's soon. And, and so because of that, we should have a sense of urgency. We should have a sense of urgency. The clock is running out, but we don't even know what the clock is at. That should give us a sense of urgency. Because if they die without knowing Jesus as their Savior, then they're lost forever. That should give us a sense of urgency. You know, last week we talked uh, in our testimony time, we heard about how Jamie Ray saw a burning building, right? And that, that gave her a sense of urgency that something has to be done, right? That, that, that she needs to do something to help or potentially people in that building could die. There's a sense of urgency, right? And, and that's the kind of sense of urgency that, that, that a soul winner has because they know that, that someone's in danger and they know that they're dying, right? And so they're going to do everything they can to help them come to know Jesus. I'm just going to invite Tim Cousins forward at this time. And I got this door here. I, I've done this illustration about five years ago. And, and to me, this is, helps us to understand the heart of a soul winner. So, Tim, um, I'm going to invite you to, to try and get through this door. And, and I want you to understand, though, Tim, is that this, this represents a burning building. Okay? And so there's people on this side, inside this building that are dying. And, and they're... Um, Salvation is going to depend on, on you getting through this door. And so um, the only difference, though, is I want you to understand, Tim, that the people in this building are not strangers. But it's your own family. Because the lost is God's own family. It's his creation. It's the people that he loves the most. So, Tim, the people behind this door are the, are the people that, that you love the most. Okay? And every second, every second that, that goes by, okay, could mean that, that they might not make it. Okay? So I'm going to say go. You've got an axe. You've got a sledgehammer. And... Uh,
And I want you to, I want you to act like your family is in this burning building. Go. Amen. Thanks, Tim. That's the heart of a soul winner. That's the heart of a soul winner. That's the urgency. That's the anguish. How many of you have known the anguish of the Father's heart? Amen. Amen. I just want to end our, our service today just by, just by praying for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we just want to thank you, first of all, for Jesus. We want to thank you for salvation. We want to thank you for our salvation. We want to thank you for loving us. And God, we just, we just first repent. And we just ask you, Lord, to forgive us for forgetting. Forgive us for being too busy, even with church stuff. Forgive us, Lord, if we've had a, a, a wrong heart, if we've had some, some bad heart attitudes like, like a religious spirit. We repent of that. And God, we just ask you right now to please break our heart for the things that break yours. God, we ask you right now, please bring us to a place where we love people the way that you love us, where people matter to us, especially those that have no hope and no future especially those that don't know you, Lord. We pray that they will matter to us. And we pray for your heart for these people. We pray for your love for these people. We pray for your anguish, for your creation, that you desire that not one 
Not one should perish. Not one. And God, we just ask for that sense of urgency. That sense of urgency. And that everything we do towards making disciples, everything we do, is going to be in your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our service is dismissed. Our worship team is going to come forward and try and, try and play worship up here. Me and you could just go through that door if you wanted to get to, to, get to your guitar or whatever. Um, but as our worship team plays, our service is dismissed, but our prayer team is going to come forward. And if you'd like prayer this morning. So, so maybe this morning when I was asking, do you know that God loves you? And you couldn't answer that question. Yes. I'd really encourage you to come for prayer this morning. And our prayer team will gladly lead you into relationship with the Father who loves you so much. Um, if you're here this morning and you want to stand in the gap for some people who, who don't know Jesus, and maybe you're not sure how to pray for them, or you're just, you've prayed all the words you know how to pray, and you just need someone to agree with you in prayer, our prayer team is, is happy to pray for that with you this morning too. And they'll, they'll stand in the gap with you. Stand in the gap between that person who doesn't know the Lord and the Lord. And when we stand in the gap, we're, we're setting up a meeting between those two people, between God the Father and that person. Okay. Or if you'd like prayer for anything this morning, any need, uh, our prayer team will be happy to pray with you. Amen.